ladies and gentlemen, to episode two of season four of Unsportsman Condom. I'm Mitch Viper, joined alongside by the young gun, the gamer, Christian Blur. Christian, how are we doing today on this fabulous Monday? Not too bad, man. Another week, another chance to, to win the day, as uh, the, the popular slogan these days. So, ready to get after it, ready to go. Another week. Absolutely. So this podcast should be released on a Thursday. We'll be recording this on a Monday for obvious reasons because we're college kids with hectic schedules. Uh, let's uh, let's not just tell you tell around this any longer. Um, yesterday we had some big games, some NFC and AFC title games. Let's start first, I guess, to the uh, NFC title game. I know we talked about last week saying Rodgers on terror, Green Bay's on a terror. But I also made the point that you can't bet against Brady in January and February, and unfortunately that holds strong. Green Bay falls short in Lambeau. I believe his final score was 31-26. Brady going to his 10th Super Bowl, uh, this time the NFC instead of the AFC. Um, Christian, just uh, out of the gate, overall thoughts on Tampa's win, just the game as a whole. Well, you call it Tampa's win, I'm going to call it Green Bay's loss because, my goodness, um, that, that decision-making down the stretch, I'm going to point, and everybody's going to talk about the, the the pass interference that, that maybe they shouldn't have called. I personally, uh, as somebody who's lived through, I mean, let's let's take it a step back. If the Lions were playing that game, it would be the defensive back would have tripped over his own feet, slipped, never got a hold of the receiver's jersey, and they still would have called pass interference. So I don't feel bad. I really don't. Um, and especially given the fact that Green Bay had a chance to go in and tie the game offensively, and they decide to kick the field goal. Mitch, I'm very anxious to hear what you have to say about that because I think that was a terrible decision. And as a result, you never give the ball back to Tom Brady with less than two minutes to go. Even if they would have tied the game, chances are Tampa Bay drives down and wins it. So why not? Why not just take a chance? I mean, worst case scenario, you don't get it. They're backed up on their own goal line. You still have all three timeouts plus the two-minute warning. Um, that's really what sticks out to me is the fact that the Packers had every opportunity to win it, not to mention the interceptions, and they only get six points off of the three turnovers. So, in my opinion, Green Bay beat themselves, and, and now that Rodgers window is slowly closing. I'll, I don't know if slowly is the right word anymore. All right, so I will say this about this game. Um, number one, they missed David Bakhtiari big time Bad. that game. Bad. Shaq Barry, Jason Pierre-Paul. A pass rush battle was won by Tampa, and I don't think it was even close. I agree with you on that fourth down inside the five, with just under five minutes left. Like, yeah, you have to go for that. The field goal, I I get why, but at the same time, like you mentioned, like you can't give Brady like eighty yards to march to try and ice the game. Like you, we've seen too many times in the past how that's gone for teams. Um, I think too the big thing only six points off three turnovers. If you want to beat Brady in January, February, that you got to have Walker at least ten in that scenario. Mm-hmm. But I think also with Green Bay, yeah, the window's starting to narrow a little bit. Uh, before I get too far on that, that PA call toward the at the end that kind of steal it for Tampa. Yeah, I get it. There's a lot of holding calls that are missed. But I think of all the ones that probably missed, they probably should have been called. I think that one was the most obvious. If you go back and watch, you see Kevin King grab, I believe it was Chris Godwin. Or, yeah, it was Godwin, right? Godwin, yeah. It was Godwin's T-shirt. And that stretched by a good foot. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the flag came in so late. I agree. Yes. But if you look at the photo I post on social media, like, it was that was too obvious of a call He's to make. It, 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 and Kevin King, uh, Kevin King did not have a good game at all. No. That kind of crushed him. Missed time to jump on Evans' touchdown. Couple he could have picked off that pass if he didn't miss time that. So, yeah, um... 
But hey, you know, good for Tampa, good moving on. Uh, the past couple of years has been building a really, really uh, stout defense, and it showed today, especially uh, mm-hmm. showing Sunday, especially with uh, Vita Vea back in the fold. But man, and I was talking to a really good friend of mine who's a Packers fan, and he was obviously a little distraught over the game. And I told him, hey, you know, Brady in January losing to him. Yo, I get it. It's I've been there, done as a Steelers fan. Right, and it is incredibly funny to me to go on Facebook and see all of my my Packer fan friends that I went to school with blaming the refs. I mean, that's a tale as old as time for me because they would get on there and before any Lions fan that I'm friends with would say anything about the referees, they would get on there and they would post their little memes about how Lions fans are going to complain about the refs, which always was valid. And now here you are, a a quote-unquote blown call that was valid. And then now they're the ones complaining about. I just think that's so funny to me. I really do. I agree with you. I think one thing Green Bay is missing, and this is the one thing that they can either address in the offseason, probably one more weapon, although I think having Devin Funches back next season is going to yes. help. They need to find a defensive end that can get to the quarterback. Not just the outside linebacker, because with Preston Smith, Darius Smith, Rashawn Gary, they have that. Kenny Clark's good up the middle, but we look at a three, like a three technique for a three, four defense. Um, they don't have that guy. They're missing that guy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'll think the other guy since probably Aaron Smith, if I remember correctly. Or Aaron Catman, I think I'm getting them mixed up. But, but you know, the point's made. Right. Like, they're missing that that guy That guy gets down a three-point, gets up and tackle. Big 280-290 guy, just bull rush. But that's what they're missing, at least to me on defense. But shifting gears to the AFC, this is the game where both of my uh, bets I put in uh, since gambling was legal on Friday, I put it in and actually won with. Uh Kansas City, I think, um, home's play, no surprise, I got the win. It just seemed to me, but Buffalo looked just out of their element for the most part of that game. Uh, I mean, I uh, should say most of the game, say the last 45 minutes, they looked out of their element. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of talk me through your thoughts on the game and, like, uh, how close is Buffalo? You know, I thought they were a little closer than they are. Um, coming into yesterday, I thought maybe they would – give Kansas City a run for the money. First of all, Kansas City's far and away the best team in that conference, probably even in the league. We're very interested to see how, and we can get into it in a little bit, how that matchup uh, next, or not next Sunday, but the following for the Super Bowl is going to shake out. But really, to me, what stood out about Buffalo was the fact that, you know, they start fast, they go around, they get a field goal. It really wasn't, you know, by no means. They just kind of marched down the field and then stalled out. Um Anytime, you know, I think it was a 51-yarder on that first drive, so it really wasn't a great drive. And then they come back and get six on the on the fumble, and then you're thinking, okay, maybe they've got all the momentum here, like they're rolling. But in reality, I mean, it's a 51-yard field goal and a two-yard touchdown drive. So looking back on it, I thought they had a lot more momentum than they actually did, and then Kansas City just touchdown, 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 touchdown. So, and then things fell apart for Buffalo at the very end. So you're right, I think Buffalo isn't, as close as I thought. That. Obviously, they're probably the number one challenger with Brady out um, and a couple of teams being a piece or two away. I think I don't think Tennessee's there yet. Uh, you know, Baltimore looked shook up uh, when they played Buffalo. So there's clearly a, a top tier in that AFC where it's Kansas City, and then tier two you've got Buffalo, Baltimore, maybe Tennessee. Um, in reality, that's really just all there is to it is that Buffalo is a piece or two away, and somebody's going to have to figure out how to stay with Tyree Kill because that man is fast, and speed kills. So 
really just a, a thorough performance by Kansas City outside of a tough first, what, five, six minutes, and then really just rolling after that. So, um, yeah, and Andy Reid is the best play caller in the NFL. So. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of hard to guard a guy that's known as Cheetah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of tricky. Um, yeah, uh, Buffalo, obviously great success for them to get to where they are today. Um, although, obviously, I thought the better quarterback won. Um, I was weary of Kansas City's defense going in the playoffs, but I think so far they've uh, kind of settled my nerves a little bit on all that, especially the way that the secondary played against Josh Allen, taking away the deep passes, and Boyce is going to try and hit low, even though he won it at times. Um, man, Kansas City just looks confident. I think it's uh, that, that that confidence trait is very underrated for an NFL team. I don't think people realize. Uh, obviously, reigning Super Bowl champs have a tough test a couple weeks, but going to Buffalo for a second, um, yeah, there's some they still need some pieces. Uh, I think Academy Green Bay they need that DN that's a pass rush threat. Uh, you look at the D line; it's solid for run stopping, but like getting to the quarterback, you know, I don't think Mahomes really got a lot of pressure in his face at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you deal with a quarterback like that, you have to get in his face. So that's the issue. Uh, O-line probably needs one or two pieces. And I think I think a burner of a wideout, someone who's just a freak athlete or, you know, like kind of athletic wideout right. that's kind of quick and shifty to go with Stephon Diggs would be nice. I mean, this is no knock on uh, uh, Cole Beasley or John Brown or Dawson Knox, but – there's just need one more dynamic playmaker yes. on the perimeter just to really make that team pop. Right. I think they're fine at running back. Just add maybe some guard depth to get a tackle maybe in the first round. But, you know, Buffalo's not that far out. I think if I were the best in any other team in the AFC other than Kansas City to really start making a run, we need to take a push for the AFC title, it's Buffalo. But, yeah, you know, Buffalo, um, hot start, and just when KC finally started to get their footing and started to punch back, they didn't have much of a response until it was too late. But, yeah, no, just in case those who were curious, two bets I made, I took Kansas City money line, and I took the over on six and a half touchdowns. Well, scored, so go. I did that well. So, yeah, so in a week, so uh, 13 days as we're recording this, uh, Brady Mahomes for a Super Bowl. Uh no Eric Fisher, though, which stinks. Yeah. Last I heard, torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. Uh, just absolute. Uh, for someone who's a number one overall pick, obviously, who uh, walked the same campus as we had for a couple of years, came into his college as a tight end and became number one overall pick as a left tackle. has been just so solid and so reliable for Kansas City since he was drafted in 13. Um, man, I know. Well, we'll get, we'll get more into depth about this next week as we get yes. close to the game and stuff, but just. Kind of a quick impression for the game. Like, what's one key you're going to look at? Well, I think it's going to be the defensive backs of Tampa Bay against, you know, the guys like Nicole Hardman and, um, oh, Tyree Kill. Gosh, I'm blanking out his name when we've been talking about him for the last 10 minutes. But, um, yeah, I think that Tampa Bay, they're obviously really good defensively. I think they're secondary. You know, just watching them, sometimes they get away with a little bit of a hold and, um, I saw a tweet that said Sean Murphy Bunting is the best defensive back who gets away with holding or something like that, and uh, I don't, I don't, just, I think that's a good take, and obviously that shows that he's got the skill to be able to be subtle about it, and, but it's going to be a lot tougher to be subtle about that when the dude's flying by you. So it'll be really interesting. I think they did play um, in the regular season, and and Kansas City won that matchup, but. I think it's going to be a little bit different this time around. Obviously, Brady doing his thing, 
And I'm stoked about the Super Bowl in terms of the quarterback matchup, but to, to go back to your one key, I think it's the defensive back staying in front of Tyree Kill, and you can't get beat deep. So that will be the one thing I'm keeping my eye on. The one matchup I'm going to look for, and after that Green Bay game, it really, really gets me curious now. Tampa's defensive line against Kansas City's offensive line, now without Eric Fisher left tackle, mm-hmm. and, and they've been missing Mitchell, Mitchell Schwartz, the right tackle, basically all season. Yep. We saw what they what Tampa's pass rush and defensive line did to Green Bay, who honestly had a pretty good offensive line all season. Mm-hmm. Look at Kansas City now. Boy, with Jason Pierre-Paul, Vita Vea back, Ndamukong Sue, and Shaquille Barrett, that's going to be tough. If Mahomes is scrambling, running around with this, like a chicken with his head cut off, um, that could spell some trouble. If there's a team that yeah. can somehow get to Mahomes with bad pressure, that could be a lot tighter game than I think people realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just my one key for the game. Obviously, we'll think about it for the next week, and we'll talk about on season on uh, episode three coming next week. Mm-hmm. But uh, let's shift gears here now. Keep football, but the Detroit Lions keep making – Good moves into the front office, I feel. Not only that, they've added John Dorsey. I can't remember what his role is off the top of my head. I imagine you know better than me. Um, Ron Agnew, assistant GM, came with the Rams staff. And also Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator. Yes. As a Lions fan, Chris, i got to ask, first impressions on those hires? Well, I'm really interested to see how Anthony Lynn gels because I think that what he was able to do, I don't think he's going to get enough credit for what went on with Justin Herbert uh, this past season because Herbert played really well. And he was in a system that worked well. And, you know, at the end of the day, Anthony Lynn got axed from L.A. because his team didn't win enough games. But from an offensive standpoint, they weren't horrible. So it'll be cool to see him get in there with some of the pieces that they have or some of the pieces that they won't have, which we'll get into. But um, I think that now you've got to try and bring back Kenny Galladay. Um, and, then, and then really just go out and make a splash of free agency with whatever cap we have left over because they may make a trade with, that we might talk about that will give them a little bit more space for the next couple of years. And really, going back to the front office moves, they're really surrounding Brad Holmes with some of the best in the business with John Dorsey and Ray Agno. And Agnew's a familiar face, worked with him in L.A. And then Dorsey, obviously, name speaks for himself, really big guy in the front office. Uh, he's been, you know, worked with the Browns and the Chiefs, so... They're kind of building from within. They know that they've got to get it right this time. And um, just so far, so good. I mean, I can't complain about any of the hires so far. Uh, it's going to be a different looking team next year for sure. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. I think if the Lions can somehow patch up the right guard position, the person I think wins with Anthony Lynn hire the most is DeAndre Swift. Yes. If Lynn and the whole staff are committed to running the ball, I think we saw glimpses of what he could do this mm-hmm. season. Obviously, he didn't get a lot of touches. He just eased him in, not put a lot, not put a heavy workload on him. Uh, man, I I knew going in that with Campbell, like they had to get the coordinators right. And I think for me, say what you want about Aaron Glenn, I think he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But having a guy like Anthony Lynn, who I felt shouldn't should not have been fired from LA. Yeah, it wasn't his fault. The injuries mounted up the past couple of years. They lost so many one possession games. I mean, yeah, you can mention the clock management stuff, but hey, you know, if he wants a chance to redeem his career and kind of build with this Lions team that's starting from scratch, essentially, uh, 
you know, I'm excited. I think also the guys and like John Dorsey's a great evaluator for talent. I think Agnew will be just fine in the front office. Um, I know I've said before last episode, but I don't think Sheila's messing around. No, they're not messing around this time. Uh, but I will say this too: um, if this regime can't get it right, I talked to a friend about this the other day. If this regime can't get it right, I don't know who can. Exactly. It's like, man. I just hope the fan base actually give this give us this regime a chance. Um, I'm excited to see what they can do, but fans won't be happy though. Um, it was a uh, breaking news on Saturday that Detroit Lions and Matthew Stafford have mutually agreed to part ways. Stafford wanting a fresh start, and obviously Lions probably want to start new while at every position essentially. Um, the former first overall pick in 2009. Absolute warrior, kind of definition of what a Detroit athlete was like with his toughness, mm-hmm. his grit. Christian is a Lions fan and someone who's probably not really seen other quarterback under Stafford. Um, kind of what are your thoughts on seeing number nine uh, belief? You know, it's bittersweet because at the end of the day, yeah, he's the best quarterback in team history, and yeah, he's gonna he basically rewrote the Detroit Lions record books. But at the end of the day, he didn't really win, and that's by no fault of his own. So. To allow him to get in a situation, and I really hope that we don't... I hope we get him to a place where he can go and go and win. And, you know, you look back on all the good times. It's like when you break up with a girlfriend. And you like... Especially, like, when you get in a relationship for a long time and you everything's working out. You still love him as a person, but at the end of the day, it's just not happening anymore. You're just not feeling the same way as you did. Uh, and you don't want to hold him back. So you just cut ties with him and you remember the good times. So that's what I'm choosing to do here with Matthew Stafford. I'll remember the, the game where he was basically holding his collarbone in place and came back and threw a touchdown. As a rookie against Cleveland, by the way. Yep, I remember the fake spike, and then he goes over the top against Dallas. Um, and then I'll remember the playoff, the year where we went to the playoffs and, and lost to New Orleans, and the year that we went to the playoffs and lost to Dallas. And both of those times, I mean, the New Orleans game really wasn't that close, but the Dallas game was, and... You just got to think maybe if that, that flag doesn't get picked up and maybe they go and they stay and win that game and then who knows what happens. So at the end of the day, he's number one overall pick and he did everything that he was supposed to do for Detroit. He provided stability, toughness, you know, good character, good guy. But he didn't win anything and eventually you have to cut ties. It's not because, you know, you can't see him being a guy that can win, but it's because it's just not working out anymore. Yeah, obviously, uh, it's the end of an era in Detroit. It looks like, it seems like now they're just going to completely get a fresh start here, which is probably the right thing to do. Um, you know, I think Stafford saying he won a fresh start was huge for him personally. Um, we didn't see that at Calvin. We didn't see that out Barry. Uh, but Stafford obviously has a chance to kind of rewrite, uh, start, start fresh, start somewhere new. Uh, see if he, see if the hype around him being the best quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, just able to show it uh, stands true. I think personally it does, but only time will tell with that. Um, so with that being said, though, um, where do you see him going potentially? Well, just kind of to preface this, I I saw a tweet. Uh, he spent an unhealthy amount of time on Twitter, and I saw a tweet that said that Drew Brees made himself into a Hall of Famer in his thirties. And Matt Stafford's just 32. So, I mean, I don't really think there should be any debate as whether or not he's a Hall of Famer now, but at the end of the day, he's got a chance to rewrite that narrative uh, if there is any sort of debate like that. So, 
Getting into where I think he could go, I think Indianapolis is a is a possible destination. I saw a tweet yesterday by some fake Ian Rappaport account that said that he was traded to the to the Colts for first and something else, and then Jacob Eason. And I uh, I don't know about that, but uh, Indy Indy has I think the draft capital. Uh, the first rounder at twenty one I think is intriguing, but I would I wouldn't write off New England. I think Bill Belichick is sitting there stewing because the Cam Newton experiment didn't work out, and he wants a quarterback that can fit his mold, and I would not be surprised to see Bill Belichick offer up something similar to an arm and a leg to get a chance to work with Matthew Stafford, because I think that's a, a, a fit that would really work. Um, I think they've got a couple of playmakers over there. Uh, I think the draft offers them an opportunity to go get another one, and giving us a first rounder, and it and it may get to the point where it's just a first rounder straight up. I, apparently, Aaron Rodgers might be on the move too, so who knows what that does to his value? I personally don't believe that Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere. By the way, but not to get off topic, but uh, yeah, I think that Indy and New England are the two that stick out. Also, the San Francisco 49ers, I think, are a dark horse. Although, what do you do with Jimmy Garoppolo? And I would not like if they gave. If we gave them Stafford and then got Garoppolo in return, simply because I want to, I want to get the chance to go. If we're gonna, if we're gonna be in a rebuild, I want to have a young quarterback who can kind of go through it. Uh, you know, gonna take his licks, obviously. And then if anything were to happen, you have Chase Daniel behind him. So, to give you top three, I would go Indy one, New England two, and San Francisco three. All right, I'll, I'll let me address this in the, right now. For those who are saying him to Pittsburgh, stop it. Stop it right now. Ben, but it sounds like Ben is coming back, and they signed Dwayne Haskins for a one-year deal to possibly take the reins the year after. Like what New Orleans did with Jameis. Yes, exactly. So Stafford to Pittsburgh, stop it, for crying out loud. Um, Indy, New England, I do have a really, really deep theory about Stafford to New England, but it's way too long and way too insane. I'm not going to mention on this podcast. We may have to go off air with that one. Yet. I'll tell, I'll tell Christian about this off the year, and awesome. obviously if it makes sense, um, I'll mention it one day. But yeah, uh, I think those two are obviously the front runners. I think right now I would take. I think the Wiggins, I think the Patriots can make a better offer just because they're picking fifteen and not twenty one. Yes, and there's probably more variety for uh, later round picks. But I think one team I was thinking I don't think it happens, but one team I'll be intrigued to see if you uh, it'd be Los Angeles or Rams. If everything they say about McVay and Goff being fractured that much, if you can bring in a quarterback who's still 26 years old, has been to a Super Bowl, probably just needs a fresh start somewhere. I wouldn't hate it. And if you throw in maybe a second or a first to go with it if for we, compensation, if you can get your quarterback set and still get a second in return, the cap hits, I think, are similar at this point. I know it's hard to know some Lance fans think, Goff, please. No. Well, no, no, no. I, I don't mind that because – the, the stability at quarterback, and, and if we would get a first-rounder with him, the opportunity to go get defense, because at the end of the day, getting Mark, Micah Parsons at seven would be huge. If we if we were able to get to the point where quarterback wasn't our most pressing need, and I still don't think it is, even if we do trade Matt Stafford before then, I still think that the defense was the worst in team history. I think we have to go and address the defense before we start thinking about offense. And obviously... All the franchise-caliber quarterbacks are at the top of the draft, and I don't want to hear any of the Mac Jones talk. I'm not a Mac Jones fan. I want that stamped and on the record. Uh, But I would hate Kyle Trask, and 
you know, being able to get a defender at seven and maybe even a de- defender with a second first round pick. You know, maybe you get, you know, Micah Parsons and then maybe like a Jace Horn or somebody like that. You get in that 12 to 15 range. Now we're talking because now you've got an edge rusher slash outside backer, depending on how they want to play him. And then you've got another corner who at the very least can provide insurance just in case the guy we took number three last year doesn't work out, which I, I'm not by many means pressing the panic button on Jeff Okuda quite yet. So, yeah, I think defense is the most pressing need, but at the end of the day, we need a quarterback. Alrighty. So, let's go ahead and move to the next segment. Are you ready for this? Yeah. It's time for the return of Camp Christian. Are you ready for today's topic? Yep. Today's topic is one of the most, probably the most, of our generation, the most enjoyable Detroit sports teams to watch is an underdog scrap team. That would be the 2006 Detroit Tigers. Are you ready, Christian? Oh, yeah. All right, question number one. Who led the 2006 Detroit Tigers in home runs? And with how many? Led the, okay, so I don't know if I'm going to get the how many. Okay. Um, but going through that lineup, there's two options that I have, and I'm going to have a tough time deciding. It's probably going to be neither one of them. But kind of moving through that lineup, Maglio Ordonius comes to mind. And let's see, I edit. See, now what you didn't know was I edited a bunch of games for a local radio station while baseball was shut down because they were re airing the Tigers classic games. So I'm pretty familiar with, uh, you know, Craig Monroe, maybe. Uh, let's go Maglio. And let's go with 27. That is incorrect. Shoot. Okay. Craig Monroe led with 28. Maglio, I believe, did have 26 that year. Craig Monroe. Dang it. CMO, right. baby. All right. Question number two. <clears throat> Who led the 2006 Detroit Tigers in strikeouts? Pitching? Yes. Okay. Not hitting. That's just kind of counterproductive, I feel. Verlander. That's your final answer? Yes. Incorrect. Oh, my goodness. Who was it? Jeremy Bonderman with 202. Bondo? Bondo, baby. What? So you're 0 for 2 this week. Man. So, let me ask you a question. 2006 ALCS Game 4, yes. Maglio hits a walk-off shot. Where were you when that happened? Do you remember that? No, I was five years old. <laughs> I'm dated. I don't think I was um, functioning. or I, I wasn't a, a sports fan at the time. I guess I was five. Uh, I don't have very vivid memories from that time in my life. Uh, but I will say, I will say that I've watched it. I remember watching it. My I got um, one of those, I got it on DVD for one of my birthdays. And I remember the first time I watched it. And I was like, holy cow. Because I had seen a highlight, you know, that it was the opener of every Tigers game and things like that. So I'd seen the highlight, but... Watching that whole game through, I mean, what a roller coaster of emotions, man. I will say for me, I was, it was 2006, I was playing a racket football game, and they paused the game in the middle of the third quarter to play the radio feed. Incredible. My question is, who was the pitcher for Oakland that gave the home run? Houston Street. Correct. Yeah. How many people get that now? The bonus question. Are you ready? Yeah. The 2006 MLB Draft, Detroit, the Detroit Tigers, almost said Lions picks. Detroit Tigers picked six overall in that draft. Six. Who did they select? Cameron, maybe? That's your final answer. Um, 
Oh, shoot. Because Porcello, it wasn't Porcello, was it? Gosh, I don't know. Let's go, Maven. That is incorrect. What? Andrew Miller. It was Andrew, Andrew Miller. Miller. The yes. big, lengthy lefty yes. out of North Carolina. It was Andrew Miller because he didn't he come up? He came up. Yes, yes, yes. Son of a gun. I knew that. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll ask you this one even though you're not having no... Nah. Shoot. Who was picked seventh? Right after him. Can I'm, you give me the team? I'll give you a hint. It was another left-handed pitcher. There's a lot of left-handed pitchers to choose from. Oh gosh! I'll give you. I'll, I'll give you another hand. He's won a couple Cy Youngs in that. Cole Hamels, oh. Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw, wow! And also, also in that draft for fun facts for folks listening, uh, Tim Lincecum went tenth. Uh, Max Scherzer, who eventually became a Tiger, was picked eleventh. Could you imagine if the Tigers took Clayton Kershaw and then a couple of years later the Lions drafted Matthew Stafford and what Fox would do well, here, if they were both playing in Detroit? Well, here's the thing though. I think it'd be different because. You mentioned maybe but the other big piece in the Cabrera tr- trade was Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller, yes. So yes. technically Kershaw would have been set for Cabrera if you think about it hard enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah, then imagine that. Can imagine Kershaw being the lefty closer that could remember the Yankees and the Indians and all that jazz? <laughs> <laughs> well, could you imagine if we traded Maven for Cabrera straight up and didn't have uh, the other piece in that, that, that trade? Hmm. Dontrell Willis, the D-train. He was... Awful for the Tigers. Hey, he was fun to watch for the delivery, though. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a, a blast to watch. So, that was Ken Christian hanging. Right now, he is now three for six yeah. in this segment, and now one for two with a bonus question. It was, uh, was a rough, rough, rough uh, process with the first couple. I should have. I wouldn't have got Bonderman, but I mentioned Craig Monroe. I, I didn't know which one to choose from. Yep. Also, Brandon, that year, just fun Shoot. fact Brandon Inge finished second with 27. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's more yeah. for the universe. Inge had a home it was in a home run derby. Yeah, actually fun fact about that. So the year he whiffed the home run derby, I was at the game the day before and he hit two home runs and really pitched a seven inning gem against Cleveland. I was at that oh my god, I think I was at that game too, believe it or not. Son of a gun. It was Verlander against Cleveland. Yeah. And Cleet Thomas almost hit for the cycle. Yeah. I remember that. Small freaking world. I was, yeah, I was with my grandpa and my two brothers. And that was a whole family occasion for me. It was fun time to do that. And honestly, anyone's, if any family's watching, when COVID ends, I want to do that again. All of us going to Tiger Game. That was like 12 years ago. Wow, that sounds, I feel old saying that. Yeah. But uh, all right. That is crazy. Small freaking world. Huh? Oh, my goodness. All right. So, next segment, this is all Christian. Christian, let's move on to quick thoughts. All right. So. So there's a couple of random sports topics we're gonna talk about. Chris is gonna throw them at me, and then we're just gonna we're gonna discuss them briefly. Okay, so my first one for you: Over the weekend, Detroit went to Chicago in hockey. Blackhawks sweep the Red Wings in the two gamer, and both of those games are not really that close. Are you surprised at all? No, not really. I think uh, that was the first time they've been on the road all year, <laughs> and honestly, Chicago has some good firepower, and I think their goaltending is a lot better than I thought they would be. So, yeah, not surprised. I figured they were to kind of do it for a bad series away from Melcier. So, not surprised, although Chicago's burst surprised me. But Wings dropping two in the road, not surprised. Staying on topic in the NHL, Dallas returns to play and scores seven goals. Number one, could you have asked for a better start to the season for the Stars? And number two, where do they rank 
in terms of your early NHL favorites? Well, going to the NHL favorites, I think everyone knew it was them in Tampa for the division. Uh, kind of were, but then they've been about the past couple years being on the very edge. Like two years, like last year made the finals great. The year before, they pushed the Blues to double OT and St. Louis might win the, the cup. It was, I believe it was a one nothing game and Ben Bishop was on his head, but. Uh, better start this season for Dallas. Um, could have been better if it started in time, and I have so many COVID tests, COVID outbreaks. But right. uh, Dallas, I think everyone knew going in was going to be a problem in that division. They're going to be a problem in that conference in the league. And, yeah, I'm not surprised Dallas erupted as well as they did. And my final topic, we touched on a little bit earlier, but as soon as Green Bay loses, Aaron Rodgers sits in his press conference and doesn't know what his future is going to be. Do you think there's any substance to the rumors that Aaron Rodgers might be on the move? And if so, is there a landing place out there for him that you think would work? Hell no. No way. I think his contract's still too iffy to move right now. I think we're. St- I think his buyout gets better in about a year or two. Then actually let go. Um, now, personally, I feel he plays next year, see what he does. Green Bay gets a little help. They move on, and then Pittsburgh signs him, and they win two more Super Bowls real quick. <laughs> I'm not biased at all as a Steelers fan in that thought, am I? I'm not biased at all. <laughs> no, um, I think Aaron Rodgers' era in Green Bay is certainly not over. Uh, you go 26-6 and six last two regular seasons. He just wins the MVP. Why are you moving on from him? I mean, I get he's 35 or 36, but he's playing probably the best football of his career. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, all these rumors and stuff, let's pump the brakes. Jordan Love's still probably a year or two away, I think. Although Love, when it's his time to shine, if he plays as advertised, holy smokes, that, team, that team's not going away anytime soon, I right. feel. Uh, but, I think Rodgers, Stephen Green Bay, that's, yeah, that's going to be something we have to pump the brakes on. Like, hard. Like, this team was just 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 the NFC title game for second straight year. They're one of four teams that are a game away from a Super Bowl appearance for the second straight year. Obviously, they need to, they need to fix some issues to add it, and swapping out your quarterback is not the it's not the right. solution. Uh, probably adding one more weapon, like we mentioned earlier, adding one more weapon, getting Bakhtiari back healthy, probably fix the right tackle because let's face it, Rick, Rick, Rick Wagner is not the solution no. to right tackle. No. I think we saw that in Detroit too, but obviously needs the D lineman. Honestly, if things in Houston are that bad, if J.J. Watt were to get to Green Bay, that's the NFC favorite. Yep. Not even close. Yeah, and I i mean, I can think of worse places for a quarterback like Jordan Love to start his career, but at the end of the day, I am not buying that Aaron Rodgers is going to get traded anywhere. I think if they – I mean, the GM has obviously shown where his allegiances lie. He drafted a quarterback this year, but – I think if they have to choose between the coach and the... Which they shouldn't have to because at the end they met LaFleur's record is the same as Aaron Rodgers in the last two years. They're a good football team. I don't know why people are so unsatisfied with the fact that they oh no, we got to another NSC championship game. Coming for somebody who hasn't watched playoff football in half a decade, um, just be happy with what you have. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my friend. It's been longer than half a decade. I was talking to my good friend, Travis Zabarowski. Shout out to him. He's an 18-hour Belmont for the women's basketball team. Uh, you know, we talked about this last night. Like, you know, for a lot of teams, like, getting to the playoffs and winning the playoff game is huge, right? But we talk about a team like a Green Bay or, like, a Pittsburgh or now, like, a Tampa or something like that or New England. Like, the expectation is just winning a playoff game. Let's get into down the final two teams and hoist that Lombardi. That's the expectation. That's kind of what their culture has been built since day one. So for me, like, yeah, Packer fans are upset because their expectations are that high. So I understand, like, you know, when you're not reaching, when you're getting close to some but you just can't puncture that glass ceiling, like, it's frustrating a little bit for a fan base. Like, like yeah, when Pittsburgh lost to Cleveland, I was distraught. I uh, 
I pumped a few non-kid-friendly drinks in my system by the time the game, before the game was over. Um, <laughs> and my buddy was talking to, he was in a great mood. It took him a little time for him to actually talk to me and talk about the game. So, I mean, you know, I think it's just the expectations of the fan bases, to be totally honest with you. It's what it yeah. is, you know, and... You know, when you get emotional about games, stuff like that, you know, you may say things that are just emotional that are, that are not quite, quite that logical. You make emotional decisions, and, you know, um, I think Rodgers was safe to say, you know, the future, who knows. Um, I think it includes for everyone. I know he probably would like would like to play better. I know there are some passes for drop. I know the one interception he had in the first half, yeah, probably shouldn't have gotten that there, but that one mistake shouldn't cost you that game. When Brady makes third. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely pump the brakes on the whole Raj uh, moving elsewhere thing. That's just uh, ludicrous. To me, that's like saying, um, I don't even know how to think of the way to, to put it, honestly. Like, that's kind of like saying the Colts were going to trade Manning and Olin after they lost to the Saints. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were a couple years away from that, essentially, but... It's just, it's ludicrous to consider that a first battle Hall of Famer and a rating and an MVP for this yep. season is all the more like, there you have bigger fish to fry than Which makes the decision to kick the field goal even more egregious in my mind. It's like, how do you take the ball out of the hands of the NFL's best player? Yeah, um, I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Right. But, I mean, if they would have gotten a stop and scored a touchdown, we're talking about... The MVP getting one more crack at a Super Bowl against Mahomes, that matchup we won in the Super Bowl. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just didn't wait, just, uh, just didn't, wasn't the way that cookie crumbled. Right. So, yeah, um, that's a good little quick thoughts. You know, that last question had more on the quick thought, but hey, it's worth it. We're filling yeah. the time here. So, um, shooting back to hockey, there was one big trade I want to discuss as a Winnipeg Jets fan since 2011, just to move from, from Atlanta. Um, it was rumored for a long time that, you know, Patrick Lyonet yes. wasn't going to be a Jeff for a while. And I've kind of accepted that fact, especially with him being as streaky as he was, even though he is a phenomenal hockey player of the game of hockey. Uh, him and uh, Jack Rousevic, a 23-year-old center from Miami of Ohio, Maxion represent, um, are getting traded to the Columbus Blue Jackets in exchange for a 2022 third-round pick. And center, who is also disgruntled when to be in Columbus, Mr. Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, I'll go and rant about this, but uh, Christian, what are your thoughts? You know, knowing what I know about hockey, and it's not a ton, but I do know that Lionel's wanted out for a while, and that's just from the surface level knowledge. I didn't know much about the the Blue Jackets side of the deal, but I knew that Patrick Lionel was ready to get out, and he wanted out, and so I had seen there were a host of teams that maybe thought about kicking the tires on it, but at the same time. This girl's veteran can be kind of tough to take on when you're not the destination that he wants to go. So it sounds like Columbus is a good spot for him. Uh, this means that the Red Wings are going to see him, <laughs> which it is what it is. I don't expect the Red Wings to be super good. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you shed one disgruntled veteran for one that maybe is a little bit would be a little bit happier in the situation that you're giving him. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, for me, I thought it was kind of unique that the player who was picked second overall was traded for the player in the same draft, second, third overall. But I also look at this Jets roster. Look, the blue line is okay. They got some young guys that will come up and play. Uh, when I look at this roster, though, a lot of these young prospects they have, especially now with the Cole Perfetti in the system, you now have Ehlers, Connor, Wheeler, and Perfetti next season. The one issue the Jets have had 
since Mark Shifley. Um, well, they've always had a struggle at center. It was always been Brian Little's the first line center. He's third line at, at best, even though I love the guy to death. But, but Brian Little's not a first line center. Shifley has stepped up and become that player. But you see in the past two past couple playoff friends they had like an 18, they traded for Paul Stastny. Got the conference finals, lost to Vegas. So be it. Uh, the next year they trade for Kevin Hayes. Doesn't pan out. They get bounced in the first round. Their issue has always been a center to go right behind Shifley. And if you look mm-hmm. at these great teams that passed the NHL, have done really well. You have guys like like the Wings had Eiserman and Federa, two really good centers, right? You look at Edmonton in the '80s, crying out loud. You had Gretzky and Messier. Mm-hmm. You look at Pittsburgh. You know you had Crosby and Malkin. You have to have the best teams. I feel are teams that are deep up the middle, and Winnipeg. Since they moved there, have not been deep up the middle. Now, do, now, the Jets will have Dubois locked up for this season and next season, and I believe he's a uh, restricted free agent. This is kind of the year to prove that, hey, we're building a winner, we're building, we're building a contender. If they can lock up the top six, if you can put, you know, Shifley and, du- and Dubois in the middle, to go with the other four wingers, like, that top six is probably the most dangerous in the Western Conference, mm-hmm. without a doubt. You have the reigning Vezina winner... And kind of held back in the back back end. And then your blue line is just, it's young. It's getting better. We'll see how it goes. Um, honestly, I'm excited as hell for the Jets. See what they can do going forward. Dubois is a big body that can play two ways. But I think the perfect, uh, kind of the perfect grab into uh, Mark Shafley's Batman. But I don't think that's a good comparison either. But on the Columbus end, uh, boy. Um, uh, their center depth, I don't feel, is the best. Obviously, Dubois won out. I think Line and Roslevic, I think Roslevic's going to be good center. I don't think he's the first-line guy like Dubois would have been. Um, but Line he's a restricted free agent in the season with arbitration rights. So we'll see how that goes. I think I think he's has some for free agency, in my opinion. Uh, I don't think Columbus is the long-term fit for him. Mainly because, if you think about it, when you think of great hockey markets, you think of the original six markets, the Canadian markets, you think of like St. Louis, Chicago, mm-hmm. Detroit, uh, I think Tampa, you can start to make that case for a little bit. Um, no, this is no disrespect to anybody in the great state of Ohio, but Columbus, Ohio is not a hockey market. That's a football market. Yeah, I think we oh, all yeah. realize this. And they don't have a pro football team, which is hilarious. Well, well technically they kind of do if you think, think of the Buckeyes, but... No, no, yeah, I, they're, yeah, they're as close yeah. to a pro football team as there is in college besides the Alabama's. So, for me, I think Lanny's due for free agency. They'll go through arbitration. They'll have to keep him for one more year. Then he's off. But, you know, I think long-term, especially if Dubois signs longer, if things work well in Winnipeg, which I believe his father works for the Manitoba Moose, which is their uh, farm system, their Triple uh, A, not Triple A, AHL, you know, affiliate. Yes. Uh, by the sounds of it, uh, Dubois knows that the Jets are probably a well-run organization. So... I'm really, really excited for the future of the Jets. I think, uh, like I said, you know, if Dubois signs long term, they're going to win this trade. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I figured Line would be dealt at some point. I heard the rumors of Dubois actually winding out Winnipeg being a front runner the day before it went down. So when I heard that, I was uh, no lie, I was kind of elated. I was kind of happy, but. Uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what Winnipeg does from here. As a uh, loyal Jets fan, been the bandwagon for 10 years, but 
Definitely, um, definitely uh, the first big blockbuster, blockbuster trade we've seen in the NHL this season, and I'm excited to see if there is any more. Yeah, it should be pretty interesting. Obviously, I think that the NHL and the MLB are t- are the two that have the most, you know, kind of blockbuster trades, and then the NBA is below them. And then really, there's never huge blockbuster trades in the NFL because, you know, most people just go and they settle in and. Uh, but, you know, the Antonio Brown one always comes to mind for me when he basically forced his way out of Pittsburgh and then when he was going to Buffalo, which, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I bet he'd have loved to be in Buffalo now, and instead he went to Oakland and kicked and screamed his way out of there. and then With frozen feet. Yeah, exactly. Seriously, yeah. His feet got freezer burned, basically. Yeah, so let's move on to a different topic. Um... Now in the world with COVID-19 around, there's a new COVID-19 variant squeaking out of the UK. Uh, because of that, the University of Michigan uh, has put a two-week pause on their athletic uh, athletic programs. Um, Christian, what are your overall thoughts on this out of the gate, and do you see this possibly spreading across the rest of the country? Well, to answer your question on what my thoughts are upon this, my thoughts are that everything fun is gone, and we can't have anything nice, because... Michigan basketball are off to their, I mean, they're not off to the best start, re, their best start in recent years because, you know, they started out 17-0, what, two, three years ago, but they are kicking the tar out of everyone, they're a wagon, they're unstoppable, they've got, you know, an athletic big man who's a beast, they've got shooters everywhere, and then, once again, you know, Lady Luck sees me down, kicks me. Says, all right, hey, here you go. You, are, are you having fun? It's like the State Farm commercial. You're just constantly dangling dollar bills in front of me. Oh, here's a good basketball team. Here, come, come get it. Oh, they're shutting down for two weeks. And I'm even more upset by the fact that this is going to take away the first Michigan-Michigan State matchup. Um, it was a chance for Michigan to really pound Michigan State because Michigan State's in a tough spot with their, their COVID outbreak, and it sounds like they're going to be able to get back just in time or would have been able to get back just in time for that matchup. But now Michigan can't play, so, again, I am just I'm sad. I'm down in the dumps. I'm down bad. Um, and any other adjective or descriptor that you can use to describe somebody whose favorite team just got shut down, especially when they were rolling. Now, if we were on the other side of the spectrum and, and getting beat up on like a Penn State, uh, then I'd be thanking Central the, Michigan. Yeah, they'd be thanking the high heavens for a shutdown. But um, no, this isn't where I want to be as a sports fan, as a Michigan fan. So I'm, I'm sad. You know, I just hope that there's a system. One Michigan school is just doing this for precautionary reason. The other schools feel like this is not a threat. Like they're not having this issue. I'm hoping this is the way. It's just you no. Know, I'm just hoping this issue is only happening in Ann Arbor because obviously. Obviously, the, the health and safety of the student athlete is probably the top, is the, I shouldn't say probably it is a top priority. But I'm just hoping this variant doesn't cause problems for other athletic departments across the country. Mm-hmm. Like you say, you know, we finally got some joy back. Obviously, you and I, with our work at Central Michigan Life, you know, we kind of rely on games happening to yep. you know kind of get the reps to make our future careers happen and also to make some money on the side to you know survive and yep. whatnot. But I mean, this will be what it will be. Hopefully it doesn't get, uh, this doesn't spread too hard or too crazy across the country and force another shutdown because, I mean, I mean, I'll be kind of selfish here. Losing one March Madness sucked, but if they take another, 
I'm sorry. I, I I'll seriously drop kick a kitten. Sorry, PETA fans, but this is this is frustration I'm at right now. I'll be stuck kitten. I don't get to worry, kitten. But can I answer? Th- I would give anything, anything, besides um, a limb or the life of a family member to feel the pain that comes with losing in the Sweet Sixteen of March Madness again. Just watching that team celebrate, your opponents celebrate because they're going to the elite. I would give anything to experience the emotional roller coaster that is an NCAA tournament basketball game. I would give anything, Mitch. Anything. Just to feel what it feels like to lose. Just to lose. I mean, don't even get me started on if Michigan lives to their potential and goes on a tear and ends up in the Final Four. But if we lose in like the second weekend, or even the first weekend in an upset... And you're sitting there pondering what happened for the next week and a half and the pain that comes with it. I don't like it, but what I wouldn't do to experience that again. I don't blame you there, but all right. So, final thoughts? Anything else you want to get out of your chest before we wrap, it, uh, wrap up episode two? Oh, man. I just, I've come to clarity in the last however long we've been recording this. I've, it's been fun. It's been fun. Right on. Uh, for me, um... We need to talk about baseball. Jameson Tan going to the Yankees. Yes. Um, boy, I'm getting excited for baseball season already. Yeah. Especially you know. now you have uh, you're gonna have Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber, Tan, and hopefully Luis Severino back. Oh. Um, with that lineup, um, boy, the Evil Empire reloads, reloads. Ah, <laughs> uh, gosh, and that. And that conversation will be saved for another day. So, t- so until next time for Christian Boer, I'm Mitch Fosberg. Keep your stick in the ice. <laughs>